from Acts chapter 4. The word of the Lord. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that, Jeremy. Peace be with you. My name is Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, the one that's late, apparently, so appreciate your, your patience. Um, one of the things I'm grateful for, um, not particularly grateful for, I should say, is Facebook memories. And if you're familiar with Facebook, which you are, you're probably familiar with Facebook memories, which bring back old photos of what you were like way back when. And uh, there's a truth that comes. That's, it's, just a, it's just a truth. It's a scriptural truth that we become like those we spend time with. Um, Proverbs 13, chapter 20, or chapter 13, verse 20, says it this. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Uh, but the Facebook portion of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, Facebook memories, for me anyway, uh, bring up the idea that if you walk with fools, you're going to suffer harm. And so sometimes I'll see pictures of m- myself with frosted tips and <laughs> jinkos, other things, um, pierced ears, which I'm a fan of, but it, it just wasn't working for me. Um, but I know that because I was walking with fools and I suffered harm and I'm still suffering them year after year as they come back up on Facebook. But the reality is, is we become like those we spend time with. And that's, that's the negative side of that proverb. The positive side we can see uh, in our kids. And I love Trinity kids, kids running around. You can tell whose kids are whose. If you're, if you, you don't even have to know their parents. If you spend time with them long enough, you, you say, man, that kid sounds like that parent or that kid even just walks like that parent because the child spends time uh, with the parent and uh, we can see they they walk and talk like those they spend time with and the truth is the same for us as well walk with the wise and you will become wise and so this morning I just want to spend just a brief few minutes and look at five words uh, that Jeremy read from Acts chapter 4 and then I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer, where we're going to pray over a few of our own members who are going to come up and share their testimony uh, with us this morning of how they've walked with Jesus and are increasingly becoming like Jesus. Does it sound like a plan? Good, good. Acts has always been one of my favorite um, books, uh, New Testament books, because there's just so much cool history uh, about the, the energy of the early church, the boldness of the early church, and then this theology that they were developing that came out of an empty tomb. This man that they had spent so much time with, they saw crucified, dead and buried. And then the stone rolled away and it blew their minds and it changed the world. And whenever I read through Acts, there's certain stories and phrases, uh, two in particular, and one we're looking at this morning. I want to read it again and just let it hit you. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Now when they, that was the uh, scribal leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the story here 
is Jesus uh, ascends into heaven. He sends his spirit. His apostles, you know, get out on the move. And Peter and John, in particular, leaders of the church, are preaching. And uh, they're making a stir. People are coming to faith in Christ. And there's a, there's a lame beggar in the temple courts. They heal him. And then that sets things off in motion that we have right here. The Pharisees and Sadducees don't like that. They don't like the stir. So they throw Peter and John in jail after being brought before them. And they threw them in jail so they could figure out by what power do these guys heal people that have been lame all their life? By what power can these guys do this thing? We thought we killed this Jesus. Uh, we thought with the hands of others, we put it down. And now we've got two guys doing the same thing. He's, he's multiplied even in his death. That's the, what's going on in their head. And even though Peter and John were fishermen, it says that they were uneducated, common men. The Greek literally says they were idiotes. Idiots. That's, I mean, that's literally where it comes from. They're uneducated men. And so here we have the religious elite looking on them saying, here are these literally idiots. How, by what power do these guys do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up, preaches the gospel from the cross to the resurrection. And he speaks boldly and confidently. And these guys are perplexed. And the question we ask is, how is it that ordinary, uneducated, common people could know so much and do so many great things? How could they speak with such authority? And it seems that right here, there's just like a little source of divine inspiration uh, given to the religious leaders. And suddenly they recognize that these men were Jesus' disciples. They had spent time with Jesus. It wasn't just their accent. It wasn't just that they remembered their face. It was the power and the confidence and the boldness that they had spoken that made the religious leaders go, these people have spent time with him. One commentator puts it this way. Matthew Henry says, when they understood that they had been with Jesus, had been conversant with him, attendant on him, and trained up under him, they knew what to impute their boldness to. Nay, their boldness in divine things was enough to show them whom they had their education. Because they were bold, the religious leaders go, these guys have been with Jesus. And I find that phrase, they had been with Jesus, such a challenge, but also an inspiration. It's inspiring to know that the source of these guys' confidence and their boldness didn't rely in anything in, of themselves. It was a direct result of the time they had spent with Jesus. So by living with him, communing with him, spending time with him, they became like him. It was inevitable. They sat at his feet, they followed, they trained, they learned, they loved alongside him, they served alongside him, and became increasingly like him. They walked with the wise and became wise, as Proverbs would put it, by God's grace. And the courage that they had to speak the gospel was born out of the communion they shared uh, with Christ. And so I want to leave you with that. As we, in the, in the coming months, we're going to be studying the book of Acts. And so that's going to become increasingly aware. We're going to see the boldness of the apostles. We're going to see them preaching Christ. We're going to see uh, the Holy Spirit filling ordinary, common idiotis. Um, and we can all agree, we're part of that. Uh, we are those uh, ordinary, common people. And we all have a story to tell. And we all have 
our own personal experience of being with Jesus. Um, and the power that comes through those testimonies is the power of Christ in us. And so I want to invite um, Emily Smith to come up and share her testimony first. We're also going to hear from Sarah Davis uh, and also from Dan Zai. It's going to be a powerful morning. And let me pray for you before you come up, and then you can come up. I'll give you the mic here. Um, and we'll celebrate their testimonies with them. You don't have to hold your applause. Okay, let's celebrate the work of Christ among us through his spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the work you've done um, through ordinary common men like Peter and John and all the way down through the line, men and women willing to uh, put their, their lives on the line um, for Jesus, their Savior. Thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves, uh, but that you come to us, that our, our being with you is not a, um, a, not a, a climbing of an insurmountable mountain to be with with you, we don't climb to you, you come to us. Um, you've sent your word, your son, our savior, to be with us and give your spirit to live in us, the spirit of Christ that allows us to call out, Abba, Father. Help us celebrate this morning with our brothers and sisters who will share. Um, help us to celebrate the work you've done in their lives and give glory to you. For the name and fame of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Emily, if you want to come up, this microphone right here, if you want to use this, you're welcome to. Well, I didn't know when I came in this morning that I was going to leave praying to be more of an idiot, but I guess that's where we're at now. Uh, well, thank you, Casey. Like you said, my name is Emily Smith. Um, I'm a vet student here at Bazoo, and I've been at Trinity for almost a year now. Um, and I think if I could pick sort of a theme for my time leading up to and going through Trinity, um, it would be oblivious grace. And that's sort of what I want to talk a little more about this morning. Um, a little general background for me. I grew up in a family that really loves the Lord. Um, my mom's a family minister. I grew up in church. Um, I spent all of my undergrad career in a campus ministry. Um, and so when I knew that I was going to graduate and sort of transition out of undergrad um, last semester, I knew that I needed to find a place to call a church home. Um, and I'd been attending a church in town that was a great church, really loved it, um, but it just never felt like somewhere that I needed to settle. And I thought um, the Lord wanted me to keep looking for somewhere. And so through some really convenient situations and events, I ended up here at Trinity. Um, and at first I really liked it a lot. Um, I liked the atmosphere and everything, but I wasn't sure that this is where I needed to be, where I needed to stay. Um, I was considering looking other places, um, and there just kept being little things that I recognized as um, being that home that I was looking for. Um, and I was still hesitant about some things, but it seemed like every time I had a question or I was hesitant about something, there would be something that just directly counteracted that and um, just really showed me that this was where I needed to be. Um, and I got to a point where I felt like if I went somewhere else, it would just be like blatantly rejecting what the Lord was dropping in front of me. Um, so I decided to stay here um, and I attended for the rest of the semester. Um, and I really just felt the Lord grow my affection for Trinity and the depth that's here and the community that's here. Um, and especially just for the sort of the really sweet stage of growth that Trinity's in um, and just where 
she's at as a church right now. Um, but at the same time, all of that was going on. I was also finishing up. I was getting ready to graduate. I was still really focused in my campus ministry. Um, so I was excited to be here, but then I graduated and I left for the whole summer. Um, and so when I came back this fall, I knew that it was going to be a little bit of a transition. Um, I was finished with undergrad, starting vet school, but at the same time I wasn't moving cities. I had all of my friends here. Um, and so I think I really wildly underestimated how much of a transition that was going to be. Um, and it hit me like a truck. And um, I just, it was really hard to leave sort of this um, protected campus ministry bubble that I'd been in and all of the routine and familiarity um, of being here and being settled in undergrad. Um, and I really just felt like I was sort of fast-tracked into a new stage of life. Um, and that was that was really difficult. Um, and I had not planned for that at all, um, but the Lord had planned for that in really big ways um, by putting me here at Trinity. And it was, I think, less than a month after um, I started school that the Wapitas started their community group that was just specifically designed um, for people like me that are sort of in transition through grad school and after grad school and stuff like that. Um, and so it was because of that that I was really able to sort of get my footing here and um, start to get more involved at Trinity this fall. Um, I was incredibly grateful for that. Um, but then um, this fall, we started sort of um, a more formal membership process and um, Jeremy just challenged us to sort of look at the beliefs of Trinity um, and and I I took him up on that and just sort of said like if I'm going to stay here if this is where I want to be I want to make sure that I understand what we believe that I agree with that um, and so I sort of started to look at the um, you know the statements of Trinity as a church um, and then I had a membership meeting with Jeremy and I went into that meeting with a list of questions and comments that was about 12 miles long. Um, and I think I ended up asking maybe two of those um, because before I could even get there, it seemed like um, just the way the, the Lord used Jeremy to explain the history and beliefs of Trinity um, directly answered every question that I had um, in, in ways that Jeremy couldn't have known he was answering them directly from the Lord, um, but it was so clearly him. Um, and it seemed like I had this moment where all of my experiences with church in the past, the church I grew up with and my campus ministry and the camp I worked at in college and all of these things um, had shaped me for this specific moment. Um, to be a member of Trinity in really perfect timing, both for me personally, um, but also just to be in this stage at Trinity as well. Um, and I had this moment of realization where it was like all of my, you know, questions and all of my biblical knowledge and um, all of my training in the past came crashing sort of into perfect order. Um, and I could see that like all of these little facets of things that hadn't really seemed to have a purpose or had seemed out of place or just really didn't fit with where I had been in the past, um, really, really perfectly fit here. Um, and it had put me in a position to really, really need what Trinity was um, and also to feel needed by Trinity. Um, and that was something that was um, really, really, really special to me this fall. 
um, and is still really special to me to be a part of Trinity. Um, and so I think for me, growing in my relationship with the Lord um, for a, a while had led me to think that I sort of had some things figured out, um, which like first mistake always. <laughs> um, but I like to think that I can see what the Lord is doing in my life. I like to think that I'm aware of that. Um, the really good news is the Lord knows me better than I know myself. Um, and he knows that if he shows me the goal, I'll just like take off at a dead sprint with complete, completely ignoring um, anything that he's telling me along the way. And um, I'll totally miss the purpose of, of the journey to get there. And I think that's kind of the whole point. Um, it's experiencing the community and experiencing the growth. Um, and I think getting anywhere in our relationship with the Lord is way more about learning who he is in the process of getting there than it is about reaching any specific point. Um, and so I've usually, I've learned that, um, Usually he just doesn't tell me what he's doing until after he's already done. Um, and he turns, I get to be at the top of the hill and turn around and sort of look at um, the path I walked up and see something that was really difficult um, and see places that were really sweet and that he let me sort of linger in. Um, and he just shows me how perfect that plan had been the whole time. And that was sort of the moment that I had um, this fall where it was like all of these things that didn't make sense before I got to turn around and look and say like this was this was why I was where I was. Um, but I think also one of the, the biggest things about that is that there's moments all along the way where he's asked me to do something and I have no clue why. Um, and those are things that I have to agree to and say yes to. Um, and those are almost always really hard to figure out um, and even harder to agree to. And so, for example, um, about a year ago, I had the opportunity to start a master's program. Um, I was already going to vet school, but I could add a master's, and I thought that seemed like a really terrible idea um, and didn't really see any reason to do it. I was totally ready to say no to that. Um, and it seemed like, you know, all of these doors just kept flying open and leading me um, to do that. And... Um, if I'm completely honest, sometimes people ask me why I'm doing this master's program, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, it's, where, it's where I felt like the Lord wanted me to be. Um, and then at the same time, I think most of the reasons are not related to, it's a master's in bee-free production, are not related to bee-free production at all. <laughs> um, because if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have experienced some things um, that are really important to me now. I wouldn't have met Carson. I wouldn't have gotten to see the way the Lord has worked in her life this fall and just experience the joy of doing life with her. Um, and I think the Lord knows those things way better than we do. And um, I also don't want to pretend that all of that is easy looking back or forward. And so for me, um, looking forward, I know, I've known for a long time that um, the Lord was calling me to pursue long-term international missions as a veterinarian after I graduate. Um, and to be honest, again, to this day, I have absolutely no clue what that looks like. Um, I don't know when I'm going. I don't know with who. I don't know how. And I don't know where. Um, so it, it's one of those things that always seem distant. And as it gets a little bit closer, um, it gets a little more real and it gets a little scarier. And um, I just got back from Christmas break a week ago and it seems like every time I drive out of my driveway 
from home after an extended break like that, I just wonder like, how many more times do I get to do this? Um, and that's hard to think about, hard to think about leaving um, for who knows how long and what that's gonna look like. Um, I don't anticipate, anticipate it being all easy. Um, but at the same time, I also have been able to see how good and faithful and sovereign the Lord has been um, through things that have been difficult before. And I'm really confident that 10 or 20 years from now, 50 years from now, um, I'll get to look back on that and share a testimony about that too, um, about things that don't look anything like what I expect them to, um, but are perfect for what the Lord wanted. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of one of the biggest thing, parts of what grace has always looked like um, for me personally is just being so deeply known by the Lord um, that he saves me all of the struggle and frustration of knowing the goal and fighting him for control over it. Um, and he doesn't have to, but he gives me really, really merciful um, blindness to, to be able to walk with him in the process and not miss all of that. Um, and that, that's built my faith over time. Um, and every time I realize how much I didn't see that I get to see now, um, I'm really blessed by that. And so um, I think practicing life with Jesus looks to me a little bit like climbing one more sightless step at a time um, than, than going towards a clear goal. Um, and whether it's easy in the end or it's always what I wanted, um, the, the view from the top of the hill never foots, fails to put me in awe um, of what the Lord is and what he's done in my life. And I'm really grateful for that and wanted to share it with you. Thanks. I'm not the best public speaker, so I'm going to break every rule that I learned in college and just read from my sheet. Um, can you guys hear me? Okay, that's better. So about 18 months ago, my husband received a promotion which would have us uproot our lives and move um, our family halfway across the country to somewhere in the middle of Missouri. I was excited for new adventures and was ready for a job change as I was burnt out in my previous position. My previous job was a senior level position at the top attraction in South Carolina. It was one of those jobs that when I said what I did, everybody knew exactly what it was and thought it was the coolest job ever. I never realized how much my identity was rooted in my job until I moved here and all of a sudden I became just Riley's mom. For five years I worked hard to get to that title in South Carolina and all of a sudden it was gone. I really struggled every time somebody would ask me what I did, which unfortunately was a lot as we were meeting new people all the time. This is when I realized how much of an idol my job had become. Thankfully, we found Trinity right away and got into a community group. I have been in church all my life in numerous groups, but this one was different. This one saw my pain even when I barely would open up about it. They didn't brush it aside like past groups I had. They really listened especially the shame about feeling guilty for not liking being just a mom. My group walked with me. They continued to ask questions, checked in on me throughout the week, and referred me to books to read, and most importantly, continued to point me back to the truth. They continued to pour into me, showing me my identity is with the cross and not in my career. Through this ministry, I got to a point where I was joyful and confident in my identity in Christ. However, I still longed to work again. 
Almost one year to the date of moving, an out-of-the-blue opportunity came across my path. It seemed too good to be true. I was scared, wondering if this was really what I should be doing now, but it seemed like destiny. So without much prayer, I agreed to work for them, which allowed me to continue my career in a company locally. I was excited to learn and grow in a new role, and I believed that I was strong enough in my true identity to work again. However, from day one, I could tell it was going to be a challenge. I immediately came to my group um, saying how hard it was. I felt like I was slowly changing back into the woman I was before I found Christ and could see this idol was still very much a part of me. To make a long story short, I only stayed there for six weeks. If you know the Enneagram, I'm a number three, which means that this idol of mine should be of no surprise. But you also should know that losing your job is probably the worst thing that you could do for a three. I spiraled quickly and tried everything to take control of my own life. We started to try to find ways to move back to South Carolina, Austin, Atlanta, or anywhere where my career would flourish and get me back on my five-year path. I kept saying things like, I can fix this, or we have to do this to make my career happen again. Thankfully, my community group saw this, and they stepped in knowing, that, knowing this is an idol I struggle with. They shared stories of their own, prayed, and gave me this amazing book that really humbled and broke me. We prayed for forgiveness of this idol, and for the first time, I started to trust in God with my life path. But I quickly realized I was really scared of his path. I was scared that, I, that what I wanted and what he was calling me to do were not the same. Thank goodness for each of you, and especially my group. You heard me, continued to walk with me, and pointed me back to the cross daily. You gave me resources, scriptures, and prayers. And through this time, I felt healing only which the Holy Spirit could have done inside of me. I continued to search for a job prayerfully and cautiously. If I, got, if I was going to get a job, it would be of his time and not mine. If he was calling me down another path in life, I was embracing that for the first time. It was a freeing feeling. During this time, we prayed for his will to be done together as a community. I felt tempted daily to create a solution of my own and do whatever it took to get a job, money, and success. But I continued to pray for peace, contentment, forgiveness of this idol, as did all of you. Months passed, and I felt healing and peace. I felt peace in our future and was accepting that it actually might look different than what I originally imagined. And for the first time in 18 months, I wasn't worried about what my title was. I knew that he was in control, and I started being truly present in the season that I was in. Then one day, I was cleaning my junk folder and noticed an email about an event manager job from a company that I never heard of, and they came across my resume from a mutual contact. I hesitated to interview with them. I was nervous that this was just another way that my sin was trying to get a hold of me. However, I did decide to meet with them on site of an event, um, excuse me, on site of an event set up to talk about the opportunity. I left the venue that day crying because I felt God's presence the entire time. There was only a few times in my life where I felt this much peace and assurance as powerful as they did that day. The gift here isn't the job, but how I am reminded every day of grace and that what I do isn't in who I am. This was a huge idol of mine and I still continue to struggle with it. Yet God placed this community around me to continue to remind myself where my true identity is. 
We have been a part of many churches who have never poured into us like you have in the past 18 months. I believe that God brought us all here together to be a part of each other's stories for however long or short that time may be. And I get chills when I think of the future and how he plans to use this church and community to glorify the kingdom. Hello. Hey. I don't have paper. This is the first time I've been ahead of the technological curve. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about how the Lord has led me in prayer and about how he has stayed with me. Um, around six years ago, for a variety of reasons, I began to have a really strong desire to add structure to my prayers. I was reading books. I was studying books full of prayers that people have prayed for hundreds of years. And I was writing out a lot of my prayers to be like those prayers. It was a spiritually strong season. It felt like some of the best time in, in life. I was taking risks. Um, I was taking leadership in the church that I was in. And I think I was dreaming as big as I had ever dreamed. Uh, I remember trying to set that example, too, about prayer for a small group that I was leading, uh, praying through liturgy, uh, and doing that out of the conviction that a small group should be meeting to worship and not just to be busy serving and not just to study the Bible and to, to, learn, th uh, to learn things. Uh, it was a spiritually good season, I kid you not. And this, the, the story I think of to, to just typify that season was, uh, I remember going on a, a trip for my work to Miami Beach and uh, going back to my hotel room after having dinner with uh, the work people and the colleagues that I was with and just wanting nothing more than to do a video call with my wife and kids together and read my Bible to go to sleep in a hotel room in Miami Beach. Maybe that's a little unusual, but it was God's grace. And you can't make those things up. You also can't do it out of your own strength. Uh, my marriage was a, a gift, and I was always undeserving of it, and I was always uh, someone who uh, who didn't have the strength to... Uh, to make it happen on my own. Uh, a few months later, I found myself in the middle of a relational storm that would last for the next three years. It, I don't understand a lot about it to this day, but I do know that the Lord, through prayer and through the way that he was drawing me to him in that time, was preparing me to endure some really confusing, difficult, sad, and, uh, and humbling times by building that new spiritual foundation in me. It was really important that the Holy Spirit was, was driving the knowledge of the Bible that I had deeper into my soul through the detailed confessions of sin and creeds and confessions of faith that had become part of my daily life. By the fall of 2017, though, uh, that storm was subsiding. And around that time, I remember driving up to the Lineman's house for the first time uh, for the Sunday, Sunday evening gatherings that were meeting there. And uh, I knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm looking for the church. And uh, by God's grace, I found it. I think I expected a new church uh, in that sort of ground floor stage when you're meeting in the pastor's house to be a lot about pep talks and casting a vision. And I think we do pep talks and casting a vision in the right ways because they're important here at Trinity. But I was really refreshed and almost overwhelmed uh, with joy that Trinity was about putting first things first in a different way. Uh, 
we wanted to do the simple things of worship. We wanted to hear from scripture. We wanted to pray through the liturgy. And that was familiar to me because of where God had already led me in just the right way. Now, a couple of years later, uh, and thanks, I should say, to a lot of resources and conversations and sermons uh, in this church, I think the Lord has moved me into a different kind of season that involves some different kinds of prayer. Um, I've become convinced that the most important way for me to pray right now is not by writing out even longer litanies and just making sure I'm praying comprehensively through all of my individual responsibilities, uh, or even to try to read through the Bible this year. God may be calling you to that. Don't let me stop you. Uh, But here's what I've started to do, and here's what I want to do more. Uh, To set aside 20 or 30 minutes at a time, set the kitchen timer, silence my phone and throw it on a chair in a different room and sit down and pray uh, just to devote that time to God, pay attention to him the same way that I want people to pay attention to me and not look at their phone when I'm talking to them and, uh, and seek him. Uh, I don't know what to pray for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. What do you, what do, you do? I, I don't know. Uh, if I tried to pray for each of you or for the world or confess my sins for 30 minutes, I don't know what I would say. I would probably just lose steam and lose focus and get distracted and not follow through. Uh, I certainly have half an hour of sins to repent of. That's not it. It's just the focus. So I'm focusing, though, on a simple, a simple prayer. Uh, there's one verse that has really stood out to me as important, which is uh, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I've made that into the kind of prayer that you can pray over and over again. Father, I will not fear, for you are with me. And then, in remembering conversations from now and in the past, I've thought about and remembered some other prayers that people have prayed in really similar ways. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, and come Holy Spirit. You put the three of those together, there's the Trinity. And that's it. That's my prayer. Father, I will not fear, for you are with me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Come Holy Spirit. Uh, And that's what I say, sometimes for half an hour. But sometimes the Lord really opens me up, and I find that I have things on my mind that I wanted to pray about and needed to pray about that I wouldn't have thought about when I set the kitchen timer and, and sat down. It's really not easy to experience significant losses and still believe in God's presence in your life, and I'm not here to attempt to persuade you that that's true. Uh, Suffering almost always means wondering where he could possibly be. Uh, It means one by one, uh, another chance to protect yourself a little bit more, to risk a little bit less, uh, to forget about the urgency of God's kingdom and the claims that he has on your life. Uh, It provides, suffering provides you with an opportunity to dwell on your pain rather than dwelling on God who sustains you and will stay with you through the pain. And uh, I've done all those things, but the Lord has stayed with me. And that's where I am as 2020 starts. Uh, I won't tell you that my biggest problems are solved, and I won't tell you that my biggest questions are answered. I know that ultimately that's true, and in Christ my biggest questions are answered and my biggest problems are are solved. Uh, But I also know that I don't experience that kind of resolution day in and day out, and I know most of you don't either. Uh, I do continue to know the presence of God. I know it in the Bible. I know it in prayer. I know it in this assembly, and I know it in this table that's set before us. Uh, He doesn't always make the hard things any easier. He doesn't always uh, make the complicated things any simpler, but that's all right because he hasn't promised to do those things. 
what he has promised to do is to stay with us. And he is doing that. He's good. And he's faithful. And that's enough. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Emily and Sarah and Dan. It takes, it takes courage to get up and, and share a bit of yourself um, in front of anyone, even a, a, even a loving uh, church family. And I, w- I want to close this before we bring uh, the Lord's table to the fore in our time uh, this morning, as Dan uh, reminded us that um, in our suffering, we can feel like God's not there um, or wonder what he's doing. Um, and, and these reflections on Acts chapter 4 that we began with, I wanted to share just very briefly um, that this is just, just mere weeks um, after Peter had suffered probably the darkest night of his life. Um, just before Jesus was crucified, if, if you're familiar with the story, Peter denied Jesus, his best friend, um, in front of strangers. He did it around a charcoal fire, and he did it three times. It didn't happen one after the other. If you read the story, it was over a matter of hours. So he had time to think about it. You can imagine the shame that that man felt as he did that, um, all the while knowing and making eye contact even with his Lord as he did it. Um, And just a few moments later, uh, his Lord was crucified. Um, You can imagine the shame. And then a few weeks later, um, he's out on the boat and the Lord calls him in from the sea and Peter doesn't quite recognize what's going on and Jesus calls him in and again around a charcoal fire the scriptures tell us these details Jesus brought him close and asked him do you love me and he did it three times and Jesus responded three times Um, and that's never lost on me that Jesus uh, recognizes Peter's deepest shame his darkest moment the night of his greatest suffering he meets him there around a charcoal fire again so that peter doesn't have to be reminded every time he sits down for a barbecue that he denied the lord but now he can be reminded that the lord was with him that the lord loves him uh, and that's a precious that's a precious precious moment for each and every one of us to recognize in our suffering in our shame the lord is with us and the disciples here in acts 4 Uh, we read that through their confidence in saying, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When the Pharisees saw the courage of Peter and John in saying that, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. People who suffer and meet Jesus in those moments turn around with confidence and can preach him. Uh, with their lives and others even their enemies can take note and say these guys have been with Jesus on the night that he was betrayed Jesus took his disciples Peter and John in the upper room and he took a piece of bread loaf of bread and he broke it he said this bread is my body as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me he also took a cup of wine and he said as often as you drink this wine you'll be reminded of the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And we call this meal, the Lord's Supper, many traditions call it communion. And they call it communion 
because this is a time in which we can be reminded of our Lord's suffering. We can be reminded of our own suffering, which causes the Lord's suffering. And we can commune with him. We can spend time with him in these elements and be reminded that our Lord doesn't leave us there. He's with us and he invites us to be with him. And as we go with him, we become like him. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, it's in, it's in these moments we're reminded that um, it's not just in talking about you uh, that we come to know you. It's in spending time with you. It's not just in um, spending time in, in a church building. It's in, it's in time reflecting on the scriptures that bring your son to us. It's in listening to your spirit in prayer. It's in responding to our conscience that you've given us to direct us towards the truth. We're grateful for the grace that we have in your son, our savior. Help us to take hold of that this morning. Help us to, in these elements, the bread and the wine, be reminded uh, that you're never far from us and that you invite us into you even as we take these elements into our own body. Lord, would you do a good work in this, in this church? Continue to, to bring out testimonies of, of folks who are, are trusting in you, oblivious to your grace, um, sometimes gloriously oblivious uh, but trusting folks who who recognize there are there are struggles to be overcome there are idols that tempt us but who are clinging to identity in Christ um, clinging to the truth um, that you have us as much as we ever have you and folks who yearn to commune with you in prayer to hear you to be transformed by you and then to live in light of that transformation that we have in the gospel. Be with us this morning, Lord, and this week, we pray in your name. Amen.